Welcome to Mock 10 Sports in this October 12, 2023 episode. Appreciate you joining us on the show tonight. Probably have the Braves in the background. Got to get it done. Hey, just remember, last Monday night when the show was live, just remember the Braves made the big rally. They came back. We're here. We're here. We are here to bring it to you, but we're going to talk about college football because that's why you're here. It is separation Saturday in the SEC on Saturday. Three major matchups, if you ask me, in my opinion, that you could term fork-in-the-road fork type games. Texas A&M at Tennessee. A&M has to win this game to stay in the SEC West race. Tennessee has to win this game to stay in the SEC East race. Don't see Georgia losing two. Florida and South Carolina both aren't really in the East race, but what – what direction do both teams go? One team's going to be leaving williams Bryce Stadium on Saturday in Columbia feeling really good. The other team's going to be, whoo, it's only about halfway through the season, and we got a whole season to go against a lot of other tough opponents. That'll be tough, so we'll be interested to see that. And then Kentucky-Missouri, both still in the SEC East race. Predominantly Missouri, though, they still have Georgia on the schedule. They still had a chance to get the head-to-head over Georgia. Kentucky, on the other hand, Coming off an embarrassment law, embarrassing loss to Georgia, where they weren't really competitive at all. How do they how do they come back at home against Missouri at the Krogue? It'll be interesting to see massive implications in all three games. Then we'll preview, obviously, all the week seven matchups coming up. Then we'll go review. We're gonna review my preseason SEC predictions, kind of see where I'm feeling, where I'm at right now at the, at the halfway point. Then it's also it's money making Thursday for a money making weekend, and I promised you better results than last week, and we're going to give it to you back under fifty percent, back under five hundred. No excuse though, we're forty eight percent on the year, but that will change after this weekend. But first, let's go around the SEC. Don't have much around the SEC because we're going to talk about a lot of these matchups. But if you case you missed it, on Monday, Tuesday night, I forget Mark Stoops sounded off kind of like, hey. If you want to compete with the big boys, right, to step up our NIL game. But first of all, how this got started is a fan, I believe Jason was his name, called into Mark Stoops' show and told him this, asked him this exact question. Quote, I saw a stat that was really kind of worrisome, Coach. In your tenure, only twice have we beaten a team that had a winning record in conference. It just feels like we're making hay on mediocre to bad teams. So what's going to take – so what's going to really happen to get us over the hump when we play teams that have the talent of the Georgias and Alabamas? Well, this was Coach Stoops' response right here. We're going to share it from our buddy over at OutKick, the coverage Trey Wallace, who's been on our show before. Stoops, you can tell this is a live stream of it right here. He quotes, I can promise you, Georgia, they bought some pretty good players. You're allowed to these days, and we could use some help. That's what they look like these days, and when you have 85 of them, I encourage you, anybody disgruntled, to pony up some more money. Uh, what's kind of the thoughts on this one? What is kind of the thoughts on this one, guys, as we rock and roll into this? I mean, Stoop said again, just to reiterate what he said, he encourages them to donate more because that's what the dudes are doing. And when he's talking about the dudes, he's talking about Alabama and Georgia. He said, I can promise you, Georgia, they brought some, they bought some pretty good players. And he said, you're allowed to do that. Uh, said they could use some help. That's what they look for. You know what he means. If you have 85 of them, he encourages anyone that's disgruntled to help off. I mean, first of all, probably not the best time to say that on your coach's show after you just took a blowout. Just, and I'm sure Stoops does that. He's a smart guy. I'm sure he knows that. <clears throat> but the stat that the fan mentioned that Stoops said was not right was actually, in fact, right. It was correct. It was correct. Uh, 
But in the big picture, 12 of those losses that the fans talking about where they've only he's only beaten two SEC teams in his time at Kentucky with winning conference records. But to debunk that a little bit when you go research it, 12 of those 24, 26 losses came to Georgia and Alabama, the two top programs in college football. Easily over the last decade, and 11 of those losses came in Stoops' first three seasons on the job before he had the program even built back to bowl-worthy, if you want to call it that. Now, Mark Stoops does have a fantastic salary, ranked seventh in the country at around nine, just over $9 million a year. Then throw in the fact he set the bar really high at Kentucky. I mean, what, 13, 14, really 15 was last year they kind of struggled. Then he's been hitting on all cylinders right after. Um, and let's uh, let's be fair too here. Once he kind of got it rolling, not saying Georgia's Kentucky's ever going to go. Excuse me, Kentucky's ever going to go consistently win SEC East championships. But he started getting it rolling once Kirby Smart got to Georgia, and then really once it started going, I mean, Georgia's been on the best five six year run in their program's history. And it happens when Kentucky's really starting to hit their stride when they what what nine games three years in a row in 18, 19, 20, or yeah, twice in a row, 18 and 19, the Citrus Bowl back-to-back. I mean, it's some good players on that team. Georgia was also rolling then, too. I understand the frustrations on both sides here from the fans and Stoops. Stoops feels like he's somewhat hit his ceiling at Kentucky. Maybe he has. He doesn't feel overly appreciated. We remember the summer stuff with, uh, or last year with Mitch Barnhart, the AD, and John Calipari, obviously the basketball coach at Kentucky, kind of getting throwing some slight jabs at each other across campus. Again, I understand where Stoops is coming from. He doesn't feel overly appreciated. It's been probably Kentucky's best run in football since Bear Bryant was there. But from a fan's perspective, it's natural for human beings to just kind of get tired and kind of have a, what have you done for me lately? I mean, they get a little bit tired of just seven, eight wins consistently. I understand that. But you also kind of got to realize who you are if you're Kentucky. I mean, you really do. You got to realize what you are. Um, if you were to tell Kentucky fans from 15 to 2000 through 2022, because you can't count this year yet because we're not finished, that they were going to win seven to nine games consistently, they would take that to get to basketball season for sure. But now it grows old after a while. And Stoops hitting all lovey-dovey out in the community, lighting up the Christmas trees with the fans. So I get I, I get it. He kind of rubs them wrong at times. But the only thing I would say that Stoops has not done is not he has not consistently had a quarterback outside of Will Levis. Has not had a quarterback outside of Will Levis consistently to put Kentucky over the top. Devin Leary, still TBD, but he struggled some so far. And everybody is in the quarterback market in the country. I mean, ask Alabama. I mean, Jalen Milrose stepped up over the weeks, but they really looked for one over the spring. They couldn't. Everyone's in the quarterback market. That position is just the most expensive car on the lot. Everyone is wanting him, but it comes at a cost. It comes at a premium. Kentucky's going to have to always in football take a money ball type approach when it comes to their football salary. They have to live within their means, to put it from a financial standpoint. And just because they want the G-Wagon doesn't mean you can afford it. Jeep Grand Cherokees are also nice vehicles as well. They really are. But with that being said, before we move on here, just want to point out, it will be interesting to see the Kentucky-Mark Stoops relationships over the next two to three years. Does, does he look elsewhere maybe and be like, hey, I need to go somewhere where I have a higher ceiling. I feel like I've done everything I can here. Um, not always going to get the support because it is a basketball school. It is what it is. It's one of the best basketball programs, top three of all time. It is what it is. But only time will tell. But I think two things can be true at once, and that Stoops was probably frustrated after the fan question. Probably knew he was taking a jab. Probably regretted it at the end of the day. 
But he also knows in the back of his head he's at Kentucky as long as he wants to be, as long as he wins six to eight game, six to eight games. When you're adding in Texas and Oklahoma in the league, it's only going to get tougher. Expectations are going to be leveled out if you're Kentucky fans. I mean, it is what it is. You're not going to go get the big time gunslingers, the quarterbacks, because they cost a premium. You're going to have to go develop guys that you recruit from high school. And every now and then you're going to go hit on some guys like Devin Leary. And he hasn't hit yet and lived up to standard. Still half a season to go. Maybe he does. But I think that's the only thing that I would say Mark Stoops and his staff can improve on is constant having better quarterbacks. I mean, they've only had one quarterback throw for over 3,000 yards in his Mark Stoops' career, and that was Will Levis. And they got him drafted in the first round, or right outside the first round, early second. That's fine. That's fine. But that would be the only downfall, I would say, for Mark Stoops. Not downfall. Only issue so far is just lack of consistent quarterback play. But, again, you're winning seven and nine games consistently at Kentucky. It'll just be interesting. Because it looks like there's some wear and tear in that relationship there. I think he likes Kentucky. Where are we in three years? It'll be interesting to see that. But just wanted to bring that up around the SEC. But let's go revisit my SEC predictions early in the season, starting off in the SEC East. Here are my 2023 predictions going into the season. As you can see, I Georgia leading the SEC West, or so SEC East. It looks pretty solid. Kentucky, speaking of the Wildcats and Mark Stoop, 9-3, still very realistic. Tied for Tennessee. I, I got to add them tying Tennessee for second in the East. Um, Kentucky getting the head-to-head tiebreaker. So I like Kentucky there. Still like that. Tennessee, 9-3. and Yes, yeah, still possible. South Carolina, 7-5, and 4-4 and in the conference. Yeah, I can still see that. Missouri, 8-4, and 4-4 in conference. Could easily see that. Florida's probably going to get over four and a, four wins. Let's be honest. They're probably going to get over four wins and two. They're already at the two win mark. Big one for them in South Carolina. We'll preview that one in a bit. And Vandy, four and eight, oh and eight. I was confident Vanderbilt would get over the three and a half win total at Vegas set. But losing to Wake Forest, you know, he killed that. I do not expect him to get a conference win. I was right on that. But I thought they'd have to win all four of their non-conference games to get over the hump there. And I feel pretty good about my East predictions. It could go in that order one through seven. Feel good about Georgia, Kentucky, Tennessee, South Carolina, Missouri right there. Kind of like Florida and Vanderbilt are the bottom two. I'm I'm not disappointed in that. Let's go over to the SEC West. I had Alabama going to the 2023 season as my SEC West favorite. Ten and two. Adam losing to Texas, which happened in Texas A&M. Obviously didn't happen, but. Still like Bama in the West. LSU second, nine and three could be real. They already have two losses. Uh, already have one conference loss. Could totally see that happen. A and M, they're ten and two. They'd have to win out. I don't really see that. Maybe closer to eight and four, nine and three, but still could easily finish third in the West. Arkansas, man, you can ask any of my buddies. I was so close to putting them last in the West. I kind of regret it. I kind of regret that one. That, that that's the big one. Auburn still feel like they could be in that fifth range. That fifth range in the West, seven and five, three and five. Mississippi State, ah, bowl game could get tough. Still six, six and six, two and six. And then Ole Miss, I think I was really wrong on this one. Six and six, two and six in the West. Uh, really flip flop Arkansas and Ole Miss, and I think I nailed the West. Honestly, I, I like my top heavy. I like Alabama still in the West. I predicted that. I know a lot of people at LSU, kind of like LSU and A and M, just would switch out the Ole Miss Arkansas. But I thought this would be a good exercise. Go review my picks. I had Georgia over Alabama in the SEC championship. Still kind of like that if they played this weekend. But I like my predict my predictions so far. Even going back to the SEC East, I could think it could finish in that order exactly. And then the West really just flip flop Arkansas and Ole Miss. You'd feel better. But those are my SEC West 
uh, re-predictions right there. Going back. There we go. All right. Let's go. It is it is go time. It's preview time. We've talked Mark Stoops, NIL, his perspective on Kentucky. We've reviewed my 2023 SEC preseason prediction picks. They're looking good. West, ah, I could shift around a few other things. East, I feel awesome about. I like my top-heavy picks, though, in the SEC West. But it's week seven. That's all that matters. Separation Saturday. Let's get right to it. Georgia at Vanderbilt, 11 a.m. Central Standard Time kickoff. On CBS, it's CBS doubleheader Saturday. Georgia minus 30 and a half, according to DraftKings right now. Setting the tone for you. Georgia rolls in 6-0, 3-0 in conference. The entire world in front of them after their best performance of the year on Saturday against Kentucky. After this, they go on a bye week for the trip to Jacksonville uh, with a date with Florida. Vandy rolls in 2-5, 0-3 conference, coming off a road loss to Florida. Vanderbilt hasn't had a, had, hasn't had a win since week one. Took a win in week zero, week one over Alabama AM. But let's be honest, Georgia's gonna win this game. You know that. Just about it's just about how many points. This is a game in the past. Georgia just kind of gets through early morning game in Nashville. They're just trying to get to the bye week, have some guys nicked up. Will that continue? Where this game will be won? Does Georgia come ready to play from the get-go? Do they get out and they spring out of bed in the morning, head into pregame meal, ready to roll, piss is hot, hair on fire? That's what they need. But let's be honest, Georgia's going to win this game just by how many points, like I mentioned. This game's going to be Georgia just gets through. Kirby Vanilla, like I mentioned, in this game, try to get out without injuries. The early morning kick could lend to that as well, but Vandy's not some 6-6, six 7-5 and six, seven and five bowl-type team this year that could nip on Georgia's heels uh, throughout this game. Georgia, Vandy's not a good football team. Bad football team right now with no identity. It might not matter how locked in Georgia comes into this one, and that is crazy to say, but it really just comes down to how quick does Georgia get after Vanderbilt. Prediction, it's that kind of game. It'll be a fun trip for the Georgia faithful who travel to the Music City in Nashville this weekend. Georgia hits some explosive plays early, in my opinion, stretches the lead. The Vandy offense is just atrocious on third down. It's not going to sustain drives consistently. I mean, what are they, one for 10 last week against Florida? They won't consistently sustain drives against Georgia. Georgia gets an early lead. Brock Vandergriff, by the middle of the third quarter, finishes it off. Finishes the last quarter and a half off, I should say. Georgia rolls into its bye week, playing its best football, while also getting some key contributors healthy, getting them back before the game against Florida against you get guys like Lad McConkey back on offense, Dejon Edwards fully healthy, Kendall Milton is hell. Those, sorry, Kendall Milton as well. Those guys getting healthier. Those guys getting healthier. Georgia cruises. Is it a sleeper game? Could be determined. I just don't think Vanderbilt is good at all. Uh, George, Kirby knows, smart enough guy. Hey, guys, let's just go get on them quick. They're struggling right now. How checked at, How checked into this game this week is Vanderbilt? Georgia puts it on them early. Cruises, you see Brock Vandergriff through the middle of the third quarter on. Georgia gets out of Nashville with a 49-10 win, heading into their bye week before a date with the Gators in Jacksonville. Next one, chronological order here. The Western Division leader, Arkansas at Alabama here. 11 a.m. Central Standard Time kickoff on ESPN. Alabama currently a 19-and-a-half point favorite. Setting the tone for you. Alabama's coming off a massive road win in College Station last week. I said it again against Texas AM. One of Nick Saban's more impressive wins over the last two or three years. It was ugly at times, but this team's grown a lot. That was a massive win. Arkansas coming off its four straight loss. And this trip to Tuscaloosa will be its four straight road game with no bye week in between. Is this a letdown game for Alabama? 
11 a.m. kickoff concerns me a little bit more than Arkansas itself, and that's not a disrespect to Arkansas. It's not. Just the 11 a.m. kickoffs in today's world, it's early morning, man. I mean, you got about a 7 a.m., 6.30, 6.45 wake-up call, pregame meal. You're eating steak, a lot of carbs, stuff you're not used to eating that early in the morning for most of these guys. They didn't wake up, music blaring. It's just, they're human beings, guys. They tell blaring music, trying to get people right. It's early mornings, these 11 a.m.s. But again, like I mentioned, no disrespect for Arkansas, me being more concerned for Alabama with the 11 a.m. kickoff. But the, all four of these games for Arkansas, I, I've been talking to people all week, that they've lost. You can make an argument they could have won three out of four of them. LSU ran out the clock, hit the last second field goal. Ole Miss, they were up last week with eight minutes left in the game. Ole Miss is going for it on their own 30. If Lane Kiffin doesn't get that, Arkansas could have won the game. Um, BYU. Came down to the very end. Arkansas didn't convert a fourth down, fourth and 10 near their goal line. AM, they had some chances. AM pulled away. So I'm not going to say that one. But what kind of mindset is Arkansas coming into this game? What kind of mindset? Also, who did Arkansas piss off in the SEC offices to give them four straight games away from Fayetteville? All conference games, by the way. St. Pittman says they're close. Sounds a little Brett Bielema-ish if you're talking to Arkansas people. They don't really like that, but he's not wrong. They are close. They're not a bad football team. They're just beat up, just not finishing close games. But where will this game be won? Alabama's defensive front versus Arkansas's offensive line. Alabama's front seven, very much improved unit this, this season, mainly because of the improvement on the interior of the defensive line, along with how good the linebackers have been with their pressures and stunts this year. That's a compliment to guys like Deontay Lawson at the linebacker, Trez Marshall, Jahad Campbell, and even Kendrick Blackshire when he gets when he plays. But a lot of credit's got to go to defense coordinator Kevin Steele and linebacker coach Robert Bala coming over from Liberty in the offseason. Credit to them in developing and allowing that unit to take the next step this year. It's massive. Arkansas's offensive line going to the offensive side of the ball for Arkansas. It's been a struggle this year. Let's call it what it is. That's why some of the Arkansas fan base is fired up a little bit because Sam Pittman's always when he's been a cons uh, an assistant at Georgia, North Carolina, Tennessee, always been attributed as being the best offensive line coach in America. What's wrong with that right now? What's, what's wrong with it? Arkansas is ranked 120th in sacks allowed this season. Alabama, matter of fact, is actually worse at 125th. But Alabama's different. They've been a little different. There's, a lot of that was between the Texas and USF, the South Florida games. Alabama's improving. And a lot of those sacks not really in the offensive line for Alabama. Someone's on Jalen Milrow taking poor sacks at poor times. Like I said, the South Florida game, them giving up five sacks. Another stat, though, it's discouraging if you're an Arkansas fan. The offensive line, not great in tackles for a loss allowed. They ranked 121st with seven and a half tackles for loss allowed per game. Alabama, again, not far from that, but it just feels like they're going down two different paths. Alabama's improving. Granted, they had 14 pen or they had nine false starts in College Station last week. Uh, that's got to improve. Don't anticipate that carrying over at home this week, though. Let's just say that. But Arkansas last week, though, had given five sacks and nine tackles for loss to Ole Miss last week. No disrespect to Ole Miss. They're a pretty average defensive line across the board. This will be the best or second-best unit Arkansas, best or second-best defensive line, front defensive front that they will face this year, depending how you rank Texas A&M. I do not see Arkansas sustaining drives against this Alabama front on a consistent basis at all. Prediction. Just a feel, and I've heard through sources, it's not been a great week at practice in Tuscaloosa this week. But for some reason, that usually means Alabama turns it on come game time. I just get a feel Alabama comes out, plays well, given this could be categorized as a true sleeper type game. Alabama doesn't play a lot of 11 a.m. games. Got to be fair, Alabama still has plenty to clean up from last week against Texas A&M. Like I mentioned, 14 penalties, no run game. 
the attention should be there. Attention should be there on Arkansas. Again, this is not an Alabama team that can just coast or look over anybody in conference play. It's just not because they make mistakes and can beat themselves at times. They're going to have to play well. Off topic, but the at Kentucky game to me is a little bit more of a sleeper game to me than this. The week after the LSU game, Bama usually struggles, sleepwalks to that. That's traditionally the Mississippi State game. But this year, it's Kentucky the next week after LSU. That's more of a sleeper game to me than this one. While the tide could start off slow, the defensive front will not be sleepy, and I expect Bama to continue to build off its defensive success so far this season. Back at home, I think the run game gets going more this week with the offensive line continuing to gel as we get to the middle of conference stretch, to the conference stretch. Also, add in, Arkansas could be without their best linebacker and Chris Paul. He's questionable in this game, and Alabama's going to go with two tight end sets, which is going to hurt Arkansas because they're already thin at the linebacker group. Sam Pittman said it this week. That could be a struggle for them if Paul's out. Again, I think this will be a close game for about a half. Alabama will take their shots when necessary, but I expect the offensive line and the run game to lean on a beat-up Arkansas front and wear them down in the second half. Give me Alabama 34-14. to Next, Texas A&M at Tennessee, 2.30 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone on CBS. This is the CBS game of the week in the SEC. Tennessee currently favored by three points. Setting the tone for you here. Must-win game for both teams. Probably more so than anybody in the conference. This game right here. Basically, if both teams want to have any chance of winning their respective divisions, both AM and Tennessee need dubs here. They need wins. The Aggies have dropped seven straight true road games dating back to 2021. So going on the road has been a struggle. No Jimbo Fisher coach team has defeated a ranked team in a true road game since 2016 either. His teams have been 0-8 in those matchups. This is a program that travels. They'll, they'll be in Knoxville tonight. They'll get there late. They go two days in advance. Does that have anything to do with their struggle? A lot of just sleeping around? I don't know. I don't think so. I think it's a lot of different combinations of things. I've talked to people throughout college football that think, does that have anything to do with it? I'm sure a little bit. But you got to get your mind right on these road games. Can AM break that streak in probably one of the tougher environments in college football? Looking to the other side, Josh Hype on Tennessee are coming off a bye week and a big win at home against South Carolina two weeks ago. I personally do not think Jimbo Fisher will get fired. But his chair will be scorching with another loss this week, at least around the national media. And it's not because it'll be a loss to Tennessee on the road. It's just another winnable game they could get because Tennessee's not as good as they were last year. The noise around college football, I'm telling you, if Jimbo Fisher and AM lose this week, will be Jimbo Fisher cannot get it done against teams on his level. And again, going to the flip side on Tennessee, on the other side, Josh Heupel, he'll be fine. But this would put a big dent in their 2023 season plans. The Vols were already out of the SEC East race come middle of October, which they most likely would be with this loss. Not mathematically. They still haven't played Georgia, but Georgia's not going to lose twice. They're not. Then you add in for Tennessee, they have a trip waiting for them in Tuscaloosa next week. So they lose this, smell trouble. Massive program in 2023 season-defining games for both teams here this weekend. Where it'll be one. It's not really a matchup because these two units don't face each other. Now, I usually like to go with unit-on-unit uh, matchups. I'm telling you, whose offensive – it's simple. Whose offensive line plays better? It's that simple. Who gives up the least amount of negative plays and has the least amount of penalties will win this game? Both defenses have disruptive defensive lines, so it's going to be a challenge for both offensive lines, for Tennessee and AM, but especially AM when you factor in the Tennessee crowd noise. Tennessee's offensive line has to create some push in the, in the run game. I was telling someone this week they have to. In the run game – to allow Joe Milton, some of those receivers, to take shots downfield. 
And I know Joe Milton hadn't been great, but the Aggie secondary is susceptible, as we saw last week. <clears throat> Jalen Milrow had his career game. There's going to be explosive plays to be had this week for Tennessee. They just have to connect on them. A&M's offensive line has to let the offense get to manageable third-down situations. They, they can't get behind the chains, get false start penalties, get negative plays on first and second down, and get Max Johnson in second and eight, third and eight situations. That's not going to be good against a, a, a very disruptive Tennessee def defensive line that's led by Rodney Garner. This is the biggest matchup in the SEC to me this week. And again, it's not even a head-to-head -head matchup. It's just what unit on the or what offensive line unit between these two teams, Texas A&M and Tennessee, who plays better is going to win this game. Prediction. Both teams have this game, have to have this game to stay in the SEC division race. Said it going in. We went over Texas A&M's recent struggles on the road. This might be the toughest environment they've gone into. But what offensive line will make the least amount of mistakes? Again, I keep saying that's the key to victory. Tennessee's got Cooper Mays back since the South Carolina game. Offensive line looked better. Add in the bye week, I would assume that has helped him and Joe Milton develop a little bit more of some cohesion. And speaking of Joe Milton, it's another opportunity for him to get a big win. He got a big win against South Carolina. I consider that one. This would be a bigger one. He's been underwhelming so far this year, but again, it's not been on him. On him, It's been on some drop balls by the receivers, offensive line as well. Also, speaking of receivers, can guys like Dante Thornton or Caleb Webb step up and pick up where Brew McCoy left off? Remember, Brew McCoy, big-time possession receiver, deep threat for Tennessee. He's out for the season. Another thing to keep an eye on as well. Can Tennessee, can Texas A&M limit Tennessee's explosive plays to non-touchdown explosive plays, if that makes sense? Can they just be 30, 40-yard gains that do not go for scores? And can they just hold Tennessee? Can they allow Tennessee to get yards in the 20s and then shut them down in the red zone? That'll be key. Try to hold them to field goals. When it's all said and done, though, I expect Tennessee to hit it a key explosive play for a touchdown late in the game. I think that's going to be the difference. Again, I normally don't say this because the better team usually wins in this sport no matter where the game is played. I mean, look how much success Alabama's had in Baton Rouge. The better team usually wins. But specifically in this game, I think where it's being played is going to be a massive determining factor of who wins this game, and it's obviously in Knoxville. Big games in Knoxville, it's tough to go get a win. Go ask Alabama from last, last year. Tennessee fans feel a bit threatened. They sense a rise in their program. When Tennessee's rolling, Knoxville's probably the hardest place to play in the conference. I'll say that. It probably is. Right now, Tennessee's going places. This game, we're in College Station. I'd probably flip the score here. I think the Vols get it done in a must-win situation. Give me Tennessee 28-20. to 20. Moving on. Florida at South Carolina, 2.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. Kickoff on the SEC Network. Setting the tone for you here. Massive game again. I mentioned it in the heading into the show. Another must-win for both these teams, not in the East race, but just forking the road, going two opposite directions. Massive game for both teams. This is one of the two must-win games for both teams in the SEC this week. Both fan bases are cautiously optimistic, maybe even cautiously pessimistic would be the best way to say it. Can Billy Napier and his team overcome another road game? They're 1-7 in, in games outside of Ben Hill Griffin Stadium, the Swamp. Florida's adjusted some of their travel itineraries and itineraries in ways they practice this week. From talking to people over there, reading some articles, doing my homework, prepping for the show, they've changed some ways. They've changed some things. They're addressing their road struggles. Now, as A&M, I don't know. But Florida and Billy Napier seem to be adjusting some travel itineraries after their struggles in Kentucky last week and their other six losses after that. 
They're aware of the road struggles in Gainesville. South Carolina coming off a bye week, getting healthier. I think they like where they're at from this standpoint, improving from the bye week. Both teams know this is a tone setter game for the back half of the season. Must have. Let's go to it, baby. Where this game will be won. Can the South Carolina defense, let me repeat myself, can the South Carolina defensive front stop the Gator run game? First, can Florida's offensive line play mistake-free football on the road? They haven't. A lot of penalties and missed assignments, a lot of MAs on the road so far for that unit. This will probably be the hardest environment they played in this year. I mean, I know they played out in Salt Lake City that week one. That's loud. Williams-Brice Stadium in a must-win situation for the home team. It's tough. I do trust Florida's running backs. I like Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne. I think Etienne's going to play this week. But as we know, if Florida can't run the football, Graham Mertz will struggle to push the ball downfield. Go looking at any of his throw, his passing charts. They're always in the – Short range. I wouldn't even say intermediate. Anywhere past eight yards, he struggles. That's what Kentucky did. They got a big lead on him, got up 23 to nothing, got Florida out of its game plan. Again, people are at bad game plan about Billy Napier on offense. How can you say they got out of their game plan real fast? But again, can the South Carolina defensive line, can their front seven show up in this one with the backing of the Willie B crowd? They showed up against Georgia on the road and showed that they compete with that Georgia offensive line. But it's about consistency with South Carolina. It's always been about consistency. Can they consistently show up week to week? They need another big game from guys like T.J. Sanders and Tonka Hemingway, guys with high motors on the interior. Prediction. Florida performs better than they showed in Lexington two weeks ago. There's no doubt I think they'll do that. But, again, how consistent can this run game be? From talking to some guys at South Carolina this week, they know that. They know if they stop the run, they're going to win this game. But offensively, if I'm Dow Logans and Shane Beamer – I'm trying to get some explosive plays early and trying to get a double-digit lead quickly. I'm, I'm taking the Kentucky-Utah blueprint against Florida. If Florida has to start throwing the ball, like I'm saying, it, it, it spells trouble. Gets them out of their game. They don't stretch the field. They don't really have a lot of deep – I mean, Ricky Persall's fine, but I've always said it on the show. He's really a number two, number three guy. They don't have a special number one that really scares you downfield. Also, don't be surprised if you see some kind of big play on special teams from Pete Limbo and Shane Beamer. They have to stretch that lead. They've had two weeks to put something together coming off the bye week. Shane Beamer is aware if you can jump on Florida early with the home crowd behind you, that gives you the best shot to get Florida out of their comfort zone. It's going to be ugly at times, but the Gamecocks get a much-needed home win against the Gator team that embarrassed them last year in Gainesville. Give me the Gamecocks 26-20. to Moving on. Auburn at LSU, 6 p.m. Central Tender Time. On ESPN, ESPN night game, LSU minus three right now, according to DraftKings Sportsbook. Setting the tone. Most underrated rivalry in the SEC, in my opinion. And we won't know when the next matchup is because they're not playing next year. They've had so many barn burners in this game. I mean, literally, there was a building burning in the background at Jordan Hare one year. Sorry about that. Kentucky, I was on staff in the loser leave town game, Gus Malzahn, Les Miles. LSU completes a pass at the end, touchdown, they go review it, incomplete. Uh, you had the earthquake game, Les Miles throwing it with one second left when he's in field goal range. Crazy games, great, weird, weird rivalry. LSU, though, coming into this one, one and one uh, off the road trip, finally probably fired up to be back at home. Auburn coming off a bye week where the last time we saw them, they took Georgia down to the wire. Does Auburn have some new offensive wrinkles coming off the bye week with Hugh Freeze starting to be more involved in the play call? And that, that's that's when Hugh Freeze teams are at their best, when he's involved in the play call and one of the best play callers in college football. But it's a true bad versus bad matchup here. Is the Auburn passing offense is ranked 119th, only averaging 156 
pass yards passing a game. LSU's passing defense is ranked 121st. They're giving up 285 yards per game through the air. Auburn has not thrown for 100 yards in, in its last seven matchups against Power 5 teams. Not good. Not good. Bad on bad. How's it go, though? We'll see. Where this game will be won, though, it's not that. It's Auburn's DBs winning their one-on-one -on -one battles. I know that sounds crazy, but these guys have to play well for LSU to even – for Auburn to even stay in this game, in my opinion. Do guys like Donovan Kaufman, Nehemiah Pritchett, DJ James, they have to win something like 60%, 70% of their one-on-one -on -one matchups, in my opinion, versus guys like Malik Neighbors, Brian Thomas Jr. That's going to be a challenge. But Auburn's secondary is a little bit underrated. They are nationally. Like I mentioned, they don't have to win every one-on-one -on -one matchup, but because Auburn cannot rush the passer, they can't get a pass rush with only rushing four, so they're going to have to bring an extra defender. These guys are going to be put on islands more against some good LSU receivers. They have to win a lot of those matchups on Saturday night. Not every one of them, but some of them. Ron Roberts, Auburn's defensive coordinator, has a Louisiana background. Traditionally, he's a, an aggressive coordinator. He'll, he's willing to tell you that. I don't expect him just to sit there in his zone and just let LSU pick him apart. He's going to be aggressive. So the secondaries need to be put on islands at times. That's just his philosophy. Now, will he add some zone, probably some stuff, matchup zone stuff, uh, some new wrinkles just coming off a of bye week? Sure. But for the most part, the secondary is going to have to play well and limit LSU's explosive plays to non-touchdowns. Prediction. You may have wondered why I didn't go with Auburn's passing game versus LSU's secondary is the key matchup in this one. Well, that's very important, obviously. Auburn just has to get to the fourth quarter with a shot. It's not a guarantee, just a shot. Kind of like Arkansas, but you got to take advantage of it once you get there. And for them to have a shot, the secondary for Auburn is going to have to play really well and even force at least two turnovers, in my opinion. I trust the Auburn offense will add some new wrinkles coming off the bye weeks, extend some drives, and even have some explosive plays against this below-average LSU defense. But I do not see Auburn sustaining overall offensive drives consistently. I just don't. Therefore, the defense is going to have to keep them in this one and maybe even have a score of their own. Thinking similar to 2019 Auburn-LSU game, the defense is going to have to really flex its muscles for Auburn to stay in this. But ultimately, I think this game is close at half, but the Auburn defense just runs out of gas, wears down, and the LSU run game continues on with Logan Diggs. Love the offensive line getting better as well. They continue their upward trajectory on the ground. I have LSU getting the home win. They'll be glad to be back at Tiger Stadium on Saturday night. I got LSU with the 38-21 win. Finally, Missouri at Kentucky. 6.30 p.m. Central Standard time zone kickoff on the SEC Network. Kentucky currently favored by two. Setting the tone for you here, man. Missouri is coming off a tough loss to LSU at home this past weekend. And a game where they probably think they could have won. I mean, take away Brady Cook's two interceptions. They may have won that game. I and mean, Brady Cook's played phenomenal. He played phenomenal the other day except for those. He really did. I'm not blaming him at all. Kentucky coming back home, licking their wounds after a tough loss on the road to Georgia this past weekend. Another game that both teams have to have if they want to stay in the SEC East race. My main question for Missouri is how good is this defense for Missouri overall? LSU, good offense. Put some points on K-State. <clears throat> looks to be a little bit of a struggling offense. Memphis, same. For Kentucky, though, it's when is it going to start to click for Devin Leary? We talked about it a little bit when we were talking about Mark Stoops' comment. He's coming off a of Torn Peck, his last year at NC State. Is that still affecting him? I don't know. I'm not in the building, but we got to get him going. Kentucky's got to get him going. The offense has been inconsistent for the most part for the 2023 season. 
And to me, this game, before we get to where it'll be one, this feels like it's a eight to nine win season kind of fork in the road game. Winner has a real shot to get to eight, maybe nine. Loser's probably going to be more in that six, seven range. It's a big opportunity for both Missouri and Kentucky. Where this will be one, though, can Kentucky get the run game going consistently? I know this is my second one, no head-to-head matchup. Just in theory, they have to get this run game going. There are multiple levels to this. If Kentucky can get the run game going consistently like it did against Florida two weeks ago without shooting itself in the foot like it did against Georgia with penalties, they'll be fine in this game. Florida's defensive line is better than Missouri's. There's no question about it. Kentucky's offensive line, it's capable of getting Ray Davis they're really good running back going. They keep penalties down and inconsistent missed assignments down. They honestly ran on Georgia at times, but just had back-breaking penalties that brought them back, put them in second, third, and long situations. And to Missouri's credit, Missouri's secondary has some individuals with Chris Abrams Drain and Ennis Rankstraw on the back end, but been a little bit underwhelming this year. For whatever reason, they have some good individuals, but as a unit, it's not great. The run defense for Missouri, it's been good against the run so far this year, but struggled last week. But a lot of that was Jaden Daniels escaping. I don't think Devin Leary brings that aspect. It's going to be on the big blue wall, Kentucky's offensive line. This is another opportunity for that unit to establish itself against quality competition. With that being said, it's prediction time. All the talk's been in on NIL, donate more money this week in Lexington, as we talked about at the beginning of the show with the, with Mark Stoops' comments. But Kentucky is embarrassed after last weekend in Athens. I expect a motivated Brad White defense to come out and do a lot of the basics better than they did what they did last week in Athens. I mean, the tackling, staying in their gaps, penalties, all those things got them beat in Athens last year. Obviously, Georgia last week in Athens, Georgia obviously has better players. But Kentucky had to do those tackling, stay in their gaps, no missed assignments, limit the penalties to even have a chance against Georgia. They didn't do that. That's why they got blown out of the building. Add in, though. I think you're going to have a pissed-off defensive line with guys like Deion Walker and Octavius Oxidine. And offensively, I think the offensive line is building some momentum. They need to get some quick throws, get some confidence rolling for Devin Leary, get him comfortable enough to have a good day, good enough day to win this game. The main point, though, will be Missouri's inability to stay gap sound. If you go watch Missouri's film each week like I have, Blake Baker knows this. He know, he He's an aggressive guy at heart, but even he hasn't been able to bring the pressure that he wants this year because Missouri's just inability to stay in their gaps. They've struggled. They've struggled. I think this favors the Cats run game. It's another big day on the ground at Kroger Field. Home matchup. Kentucky needs to get better. Kentucky bounces back. Late field goal to make it a two-score lead and ice the game. Give me Kentucky with a double-digit win. 27-17, closer than a double-digit win. But I think a last-second – or under four-minute drill, field goal for Kentucky, stretches the lead, extends the lead, makes it too much for Missouri. Give me Kentucky 27-17. to 17. And Those are the six matchups around the league because uh, you got both Mississippi schools on bye weeks. Uh, just let's review it one more time just to bring up those matchups for you so you can see it on paper. Share the screen. There you go. There's the matchups. We mentioned it. Georgia at Vanderbilt at 11 on CBS. It's a CBS doubleheader weekend. 11 a.m. Central time zone as well. Arkansas at SEC West Division leader Alabama on ESPN. The 2.30 CBS game. This is the one with Brad Nestler and Gary Danielson. Texas A&M travels to Neyland Stadium. 2.30 p.m. Central Standard time zone on CBS. Then we got a 2.30 p.m. The SEC Network game. Florida at South Carolina on the SEC Network. Auburn travels to LSU, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone on ESPN. And then the other night game 
the SEC Network crew, uh, Cole Kublick and the guys, Missouri at Kentucky on the SEC Network, like I mentioned. And then finally, guys, before we get you out of here, the Week 7 Money-Making Weekend Bets, according to the Draft King Sportsbook. I'll share the screen. Let's share you my predictions. Well, I thought we had that one all on. It's not one to pull up one second, guys. All right, this should do it. Sorry about that. Pull it up one sec. Here we go. All right. Sharing it right here. Money-making weekend, week seven picks. Leading off. Give me Kentucky, minus two and a half. I told you I like them winning by 10, stretching that lead with the last second field goal at home. Kentucky gets back right. People are down on them after Georgia. I think they're they're better up front than Missouri, and that's where this game's going to be won. I like Kentucky to cover the minus two and a half. Alabama, a little bit of a stretch on this one. I think they come out. I think they overcome the 11 a.m. start. Could be close in the first half. I do think they extend that lead. Alabama's been good in the second half. They really have. Most of their games this year, I like them to cover them 19 and a half. Purdue over in the Big Ten, hosting Ohio State this week. Give me the plus 19 and a half in the Boilers. Ohio State struggled some at Purdue. It's time for Ohio State that week. I could see them kind of – I think they're going to win. They're not going to lose to Purdue. But I think it's within 19 and a half. The gut feeling bet here. Give me the Boilermakers plus 19 and a half. Oregon traveling to Washington, the primetime game. Game day will be there. Everybody's going to be there. I don't think Washington's seen a physical unit in the secondary to have of this defense with Oregon yet. They're giving Oregon points. Give me the Ducks, baby. Give me plus three on the road. Ducks take full control of the Pac-12 after this one. Stick, speaking of the Pac-12, give me Washington State minus four and a half in the first half. Minus four and a half in the first half at home against Arizona. Arizona's going on the road again after a tough loss to USC. I could see them being down. Washington State's a good football team. I think they jump on Arizona here early, especially at home after an emotional loss for the Wildcats. Give me Washington State. Give me the Cougars minus four and a half in the first half. Going to the Big 12, BYU travels to TCU. BYU coming off a bye week. TCU just took a loss at Iowa State on the road. They got back late Sunday. I I think the wrong team's favorite here. Give me BYU plus three and a half in the first half. I I like the Cougars here. BYU's a good football team, guys. I think the wrong team's favorite. Give me the Cougars plus three and a half. Notre Dame, USC coming into a real fall-type environment in South Bend this week. It's going to be raining. It's going to be wet. USC's been practicing for it all week in sunny L.A., Los Angeles, California. Give me the Irish here. Minus two and a half. I don't like the USC defense. I think Notre Dame bounces back from a loss to Louisville. Give me the Irish at home, minus two and a half. North Carolina, minus three, hosting the Miami Hurricanes, who are coming off one of biblical losses last week with Mario Cristobal not kneeling it. Did anybody see he turned that play in to the ACC officials to see if they made the right call to see if his knee was actually down? I mean, 
blaming running backs for fumbling the ball, for not using two hands. I mean, come on, man. Come on. I don't know how Miami bounces back from that. I'll be honest. Some people out there in the national media be like, whoa, don't, don't kill them yet. I mean, they could bounce right. I don't see it. I don't see it. North Carolina is a pretty good football team. I was higher on Miami. Maybe they shot me. But give me North Carolina at home, minus three. Staying in Chapel Hill. Give me the over 57 and a half of this game, North Carolina versus Miami. I think there's going to be a lot of points scored. Ultimately, think North Carolina covers. So I got a lot invested in Chapel Hill this week. And then finally, the last SEC game, Texas A&M, Tennessee, not taking the points in that one with Tennessee being favored by three right now. Give me the under. Give me the under. I like both, off, both defenses here to keep that under 55 and a half. But we got what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten bets. We're going to get above 50% again, guys. Remember, the end goal is going to be 60%. We're at 48%. We need big bets out of these 10. But remember, just going through it again, Kentucky minus two and a half over Missouri, Alabama minus 19 and a half over Arkansas, Purdue plus 19 and a half at home against Ohio State, Oregon plus three on the road at Washington, Washington State minus four and a half in the first half at home against Arizona, BYU, wrong team favorite, getting three and a half in the first half at TCU, Notre Dame minus two and a half at home against USC, going to Chapel Hill for two of these bets, North Carolina minus three against Miami, and then the over 57 and a half in that same game, North Carolina versus Miami. And then finally, Texas A&M versus Texas Tennessee, big, biggest game in the SEC this week. Give me the under 55 and a half. I like both defenses. I will post that graphic tomorrow afternoon. But again, guys, I appreciate you joining us just under an hour. Got you your six predictions. You can go take it now. And go tell your buddies, hey, I'm going to predict all six right. I'm going to get all 10 of the bets. My 10 sports got me. But we covered a lot. We talked Mark Stoops, his thoughts on the NIL, on people ponying up more money after his a fan calling in and giving him he's only won two games against SEC teams in his entire career with overall winning conference records. Went over that. Give you thoughts. Give my thoughts on that. Previewed all six SEC matchups this week. Remember, both Mississippi schools are on the buy on buys this week with Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Give you my money making weekend ten bets. Forty eight percent right now will be over fifty percent after this weekend. But guys, I'm telling you, college football season's flying by. It's already week seven. Week seven, but it's going to be a fun one. Again, I appreciate you joining us on this episode of Mock 10 Sports. If you don't already, go like and subscribe the channel, man. I'm telling you, you're not going to get any better information from someone who's worked in the college athletic sphere like myself here. But again, I appreciate you joining us on this episode of Mock 10 Sports. You have a fantastic weekend. Keep following us on Mock 10 Sports for the best information on SEC sports.